0: How important is it in life to strive for perfection? Is it necessary to go for zero defects? Why isn't 99.9% defect-free good enough? Here are some examples for what life would be like if we had to live with 99.9% perfection. We'd have to accept one hour of unsafe drinking water every month. Two Unsafe plane landings per day at O'Hare International Airport in Chicago. 16,000 pieces of mail lost by the U.S. Postal Service every hour. 20,000 incorrect drug prescriptions per year. 500 incorrect surgical operations each week. 22,000 checks deducted from the wrong bank accounts each week. 32,000 missed heartbeats per person per year. Suddenly, the quest for zero defects makes a lot of sense. We obviously live in an imperfect world. However, we serve a perfect God. What does the Scripture emphasize about God being perfect? That's our first question. What does the Scripture emphasize about God's perfection? And number two, what does this perfect God demand of us? Turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to Psalm 145. Remember now we're looking at the communicable attributes of God. Those perfections of God that he also shares with us. Let me read to you Psalm 145, 1 through 3. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are perfect. Help us now to understand better your perfection and how you want us to live in light of your perfection. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in Psalm 145, down in verse 3, we have the noun heker. Which means, or is translated, unsearchable. It's a good translation. Several times we find this noun used of God. For instance, Job chapter 9, verse 10, uses the term translated, finding out. So listen carefully Job 9, 10. He does great things past finding out. And then Isaiah asks a couple of questions and then emphasizes God's unsearchable nature. Have you not known? This is Isaiah 40:28. Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints or is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. What's that you're asking? How is God perfect? I'm so glad you asked that question. Let me answer how God is perfect. Number one, God's work is perfect. God's work is perfect. In verses four through seven, whether we're talking about creation, and remember on day six, uh, God looks it all over after making man and he says it's Tov Ma'oth, it's very good, or we're looking at recreation. Because individuals have believed that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice of God, knowing He died for our sin and was raised from the dead, when we put faith in Him, Uh, we are, if you will, recreated, born a second time. We have to pass those truths down to the next generation. Verse 4 of Psalm 145 One generation shall praise you, your works to another. and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. We need to pass down to the next generation, that God's work in creation and then recreation is perfect. And by the way, is God just whimsical? In other words, does he just decree things because he feels like it at the moment? No, I want you to understand, and this is important, that God's acts are based upon his nature. When we want to learn about God, we study his person, who he is, but then also what he does. That's his works. That's the case. Look in verses 8 and 9, standing in Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. God governs the world based upon his generous, his good, his perfect nature. God's work is perfect. And then as you come down, verse 14, the Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy every Living thing, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways, gracious in all his works. So, God, based upon his generous, loving, kind nature, does good works, he is perfect. In Deuteronomy 32 and verse 3, Moses says, Ascribe greatness to our God. Why should we ascribe? Greatness. In other words, recognize already that God is great. That's the concept of the word ascribe. Why do we ascribe greatness to our God? Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Did you catch that? His work is perfect. So number one, God's work is perfect as we're investigating the attribute of God's perfection. But number two, God's way is perfect. Not only is his work perfect, so is his way. Second Samuel chapter 22, if you would kindly turn there, Second Samuel chapter 22, David says, as for God, his way is perfect. The context of this passage is David had contemplated, he was mulling over how God had delivered him repeatedly from his enemies. And David understood that it was because God directed his way David remained safe. Why? Because God's way is perfect. Keeping this in mind, look at verses 32 and 33. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? God is my strength. You see how he personalizes? God is my strength and power, and he makes my way perfect. That's priceless, God is perfect in his way, so what does he do for you and me? When we are following him, he makes our way perfect as well. Following the perfect God in his ways will protect you repeatedly. From what? How about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? Uh, Does not our Lord teach us to pray, to... Protect us from the evil one. Does he not teach us that in what is called the Lord's Prayer? Absolutely. We need him to keep us, to protect us from Satan. So we need to remain in the way of the perfect God who makes our way perfect. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding in all your—listen carefully— Ways acknowledge or know him, and he shall direct your path. That's what God does, he is perfect in his way. And when we seek after him with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, he makes our way good also in all your ways. Now we see God's work is perfect, God's way is perfect. But did you know, God's Word is perfect. Turn with me to Psalm 19, and let me read to you verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. But did you catch the beginning of verse 7? The law of the Lord is what? perfect god's word is perfect proverbs 30 and verse 5 every word of god is pure his word is without blemish so we can trust his word the law of the lord like his work like his way is absolutely perfect billy graham had prayed a remarkable prayer worth repeating When he had begun ministry, this is what he prayed Lord, many things in this book I do not understand. But you have said, The just shall live by faith. All I've received from you, I have taken by faith. Here and now, I accept the Bible as your word. I take it all, I take it without reservation. Where there are things I cannot understand, I will reserve judgment until I receive more light. If this pleases you, give me authority as I proclaim your word, and through that authority convict men and women of sin and turn sinners to the Savior. So why is Billy Graham He understood that God's Word is perfect. It's beyond human comprehension in its totality. Yes, as we work through the Scripture, there is a clarity there. The uh, Reformers called it the perspicuity of the Scripture, the clarity of the Scripture. But let's be honest, even as uh, Peter says of Paul's writing, there are some things difficult to understand. So when we don't grasp the Word of God perfectly— Because it's a book that is eternal. There are things in here that are difficult to understand at times. We need to defer to him. Why? Because God's word is perfect. And let me get applicational for just a moment. Since God's word is perfect, do you seek after it? Do you passionately pursue it? Look now in Psalm 19, verses 8. Through 11. Notice the heart of David, the psalmist, the poet, and, and what he gives us here. Verse 8, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, as illumination. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. "...more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward." As honey is a sweetener that is sought after by many, so God's word is sweet." And we should pursue it. It gives us great wisdom. It shows us more about God's perfect way, his perfect work. It gives us more information about his perfect word and is something that we need to strive after. So let me ask you very practically speaking, how passionate are you to know God through his word? If we've been given a perfect word, Paul tells Timothy, all Scripture— is given by inspiration of God. It's theopnustos. it's God breathes, it's without error. Jesus himself says in John 10, 35, that the word of God cannot be broken. It's not only an errand, it's infallible. It has the authority to carry out what it says is going to do. As I cited earlier, Proverbs 30 and verse five, every word of God is pure. God's word is perfect zero defects, and we need to keep this in mind. So should we not treasure it? Should we not hide it in our hearts? Should we not read it cover to cover often? Should we not study it? Should we not meditate upon it? Should we not memorize it? Should we not share it with others? (laughs) If his word is perfect, then we cannot just keep it to ourselves. So let's Move now to our fourth point, knowing that God's work is perfect, and it is, God's way is perfect, God's word is perfect, and here is point number four, strive for Christ-likeness, which is perfection. Strive for Christ-likeness, which is perfection. That's the standard. Jesus had preached this himself in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to Matthew 5 and verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. In the context of Matthew 5, he exposes, this is Jesus' many sins of murder, lust, hate, deception, and retaliation. Those things do not represent the nature or the character of God. Therefore, he says, we need to be perfect. I came upon this, it made me chuckle. The closest to perfection a person ever comes is when he fills out his job application form. <laughs> How true is that? Uh, There are times you look at someone's resume, their application, and you you just have to chuckle because you think there is perfection. Uh, John MacArthur gives us a notable statement on God being perfect and calling us to perfection. In his study Bible, he writes, though this standard is impossible to meet, God could not lower it without compromising his own perfection. He, who is perfect, could not set an imperfect standard of righteousness. The marvelous truth of the gospel is that Christ has met the standard on our behalf. And then he gives us 2 Corinthians five twenty-one. and he, God, who made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Perfect standard set by a perfect God that we can only reach through a personal faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The one who fulfilled the law perfectly, Jesus, is the one that we turn to, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And when we turn to him by faith, understanding that he died for our sin, that's why he went to the cross, he conquered death, that when we place our trust, our hope, our reliance upon his finished work, then we are given the standard of righteousness. Not our standard, but his is imputed or put into our account. Striving for Christ-likeness is what we are called to do. Have you just given up? Have you just said, you know what, this is not attainable, or I'll just kind of bide my time until the Lord comes back, because I know when he comes back, I'll be perfectly like him. The Apostle Paul could have had that attitude. In the book of Philippians, where does he write from? He writes from Rome being under house arrest, he doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. He could have easily gone, okay, I've served my God, I've given him my all, I'm ready to die, and therefore I can be made like him fully. But notice Paul's words with that context in mind, Philippians chapter 3. Let me read this to you. Philippians 3 12 through 15, and then I'll come back and walk you through. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Paul is very transparent. In verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already Perfected, He says, I'm not perfect. He understood that he had not reached 100% perfection, but he didn't quit. Notice he says, but I press on. Even chained to Roman soldiers 24-7, Paul pressed on. The present tense verb, implying here continuous action, shows also a very intense pressing on. You've heard me talk about the verb dioko that is used of persecuting Christians. It's used of Paul when he persecuted the saints. It's used of attorneys prosecuting an individual. Uh, It's used of hunters tracking down their game. He says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Consider Paul. He was apprehended. (laughs) He was apprehended by Jesus Christ. Paul had a mission to lock up Christians, put many to death, and he had not the mind of Christ. He had a zeal, but it was not according to knowledge. So what did Jesus Christ do? Slap the handcuffs upon Paul, appeared to him, revealed himself. Paul gets saved, and then the Lord reveals to Paul through time, what his mission would be. So Jesus Christ had laid hold of him. So Paul understood now the goal is Christ's likeness. I have a mission to do, but in the mission of making disciples of all the nations, particularly the Gentiles for Paul, he needed to become more like Christ because that's why we're all apprehended. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's Jesus Christ. We have been marked out ahead of time to become like Jesus Christ. So when we are moving in that Christ-like attitude, when we are striving for that perfection, we are aligning our hearts with God's desire for us. Paul continues here after talking about being apprehended, but one thing I do, one thing. So Paul says one thing. You better sit up and take note. This is important. But one thing I do, forgetting Uh, the present middle participle shows his way of life. He had to probably constantly work on forgetting those things which are behind. He was a persecutor of the saints, and I'm sure many times those thoughts came back to his mind, forgetting those things which are behind. And now he uses another present middle participle, reaching forward. So he's forgetting the past, has a mission slayed out for him. So what is he doing? Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And again, he applies the same term, Dioko I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus. So he's moving in a direction. He wants to be like the one who's apprehended him. He wants to imitate Christ. He wants perfection. And even as he is again chained to a Roman soldier, what's his desire? To become more like Jesus Christ. Paul was not unaware that this would be attained, and it would not happen perfectly here, but that does not negate that we are told, we are commanded to strive for Christ-likeness. When will it be complete? Well, based upon our citizenship, let your eyes come down, you're in the same chapter, Philippians chapter 3, 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait, one word in the Greek, it's a strengthened form of the verb, actually having two prepositions affixed to it. Very strong, ap, ek, decumai. Seven times this term is used, each time referring to the return of Christ. We also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Remember how this letter began back in chapter 1 and verse 6? He who has begun a good work in you will perform or complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. So, Paul knew it was coming, that perfection, but in the interim, regardless of his circumstances, he was going to strive to be like his Jesus, and we should too. So, How do we know how to strive for perfection? Simple. We read the directions. That's God's Word. And what have we learned from God's Word? First of all, about the nature of God. God's work is perfect. When He had created the world, He sat back, He looked at it, and He said, this is very good. And what happens when someone is born again? (laughs) Luke 15 says, says there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. So when there's a recreation and someone has come to Christ, we recognize that God's work is perfect because he always completes what he starts. Number two, we learn that God's way is perfect. His way is perfect. He knows exactly what he's doing. And then for us, all things are working together for good. So when we seek after the one whose way is perfect— He is the one who smooths our paths. God's word is perfect. We can trust it, rely upon it. From the scriptures, we get our marching orders. We get our directions to know what to do. So let's devour the word of God. Let's put it in our hearts. Let's hide it up there so that we can please God, because not only do we know the word, but then we practice the word. And then finally, strive for Christ-likeness, which is perfection. You and I have to apply ourselves. Indeed, Paul uses the word dioko. I press, I persecute, I track down. That's what we need to do when it comes to Christ-likeness. It takes effort on our part. We are to understand the nature of our God and based upon his nature, we are to strive for Christ's likeness, knowing that ultimately we will receive that perfection that will come with the return of Jesus Christ. So please take those three thoughts about God's work, His way, His word, being perfect, meditate on that, and then commit. Present your body as a living sacrifice, present your minds to be renewed, to strive for Christ-likeness, which is perfection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are perfect in your work, in your way, and in your word. And now, Lord, based upon your wonderful, wonderful, perfect nature, help us to strive for perfection which is Christ-likeness. We know you're going to complete the mission you started, but for now, Lord, touch our hearts, each and every one, that we might give you our best and labor toward that end, regardless of our circumstances, to be more like Jesus Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching today's sermon. Uh, there is a book that is the basis for the 14 lessons, Attributes of God on Fire. Uh, there are actually 10 other fire books. Or you can learn more about us at Comer Biblechurch.com. And then I have a foundation, Ken J. Bird Senior Foundation.com. And finally, we have a father and son podcast. We would love to have you join us. God bless you.